last week we started a series called Questions. And uh, today we're continuing that and we're actually gonna take a little bit more time today. And uh, what we're doing is we are, we're kind of taking these big questions that a lot of people have about Christianity, why we believe what we believe. And uh, we're, we're starting some conversations um, in order to help you kind of take these questions and know how to answer some of them. Um, you know, I grew up in church, all right? Like literally I was born, uh, you know, not born literally inside the building, but, uh, but born and immediately started going to church. And um, that's really good in one sense. The other sense is how many of you know that whatever you're raised up in becomes your norm? You know that? Like if you had a really good home life, that's your norm. And so you just see life kind of through that lens. If you raised up in a, in a rough home, you, you see life from a different angle. If you were raised in church, you see things from a certain, you know, your worldview is, is shaped. And then if you didn't, weren't raised up in church, you might have some different, different views. However, one thing I do know is this, is that we all have questions. And we all have questions. And a lot of times inside the church is one of the places that we, we don't talk about them the most, you know? And, and I think it's, it's because of this. I believe that there's three different types of people in this room right now. There's believers, those of you who you believe in the word of God, you believe in Jesus and, and like your faith is completely strong in God. And then there's some others that are, I guess maybe more like doubters, okay? Like, you know, there's something going on, but you're not really sure. You read the Bible and it's kind of confusing at times. And so you're, you're just not, I don't know. And then there's unbelievers or skeptics and those of you that are maybe consider yourself atheists and uh, I'm just here because my mom made me come or because it's just Sunday and everybody just, that's what you do. And, but you really don't have any sort of real connection with God. And, uh, and my hope through this whole series over the next few weeks is that all of us, no matter where we're at in our faith walk, is, is that all of our faith would be uh, encouraged in God. Now, there's a misconception right off the bat a lot of people say is I'm not a person of faith. I'm not a person of faith. I don't have it. I'm not religious, you know? And, and people equate faith with religion whenever faith is just something that you're born with. It's a belief system. It's a structure that, that that's how your life plays out is really based upon where your faith is at. So everybody's born with it. The Bible says we're all, we all have a measure of faith, but, but I think it, it's up to us because we have free wills of where we wanna place or direct that faith. So all of us are all born into this situation. Aren't you happy yes. that you can't remain neutral? I mean, it's just very encouraged. So no matter where you find yourself on the scale today, my hope is that you're encouraged in what we're speaking about. Last week, we talked about the resurrection. It was Easter. That's what you do on Easter is you talk about the resurrection, right? But we kind of took it from a different, a different angle. Because uh, a lot of people stop at the cross as far as their excitement. They're like, oh man, it's all because of the cross. But some people don't move on to the resurrection in their thinking and in their prayers and in their, you know, their faith because it's, it's sort of like the cross ended it whenever we really showed that without the, the empty tomb, the cross is powerless. You know, it's kind of like part one and point, part two of a story. You gotta have the cross and you gotta have the empty tomb. That's what brings resurrection life to us. Okay, it brings hope to us. And so... Today, we're gonna to be talking about the reliability of the Bible, all right? Now, this topic is impossible to exhaust ever. <laughs> like not just today, but, but really all the things that we're gonna talk about. These are discussions, okay? And, and today, it's, 
I like to talk like I'm in a dialogue. However, it's really a monologue, right? I like to hear a little bit of like a, a nod here and there is nice. I like that. Okay. Well, just to know that you're still alive. But this, these topics are topics that people have discussed and argued about for centuries over and over and over again. And so here we are, uh, you would think with all of the development that we have in our knowledge and all of this, that man, we've really, you know, we've, we've crossed a threshold. No, no, there's still a lot of questions. And so the reliability of the Bible is another one of these questions. Is the Bible reliable? Is it accurate? Is it something that I could truly base, base my life upon and be confident in that? And so today I've actually got a lot of information. So I'm gonna be having a seat while I talk to you today to, to move through that information uh, in a straight line. And is that okay with you guys? You guys get to sit down every week. I wanna sit down from time to time. <laughs> you know, sometimes I get done preaching and I go in the back, I'm just like, Ah, oh, like, oh, the back. But uh, it's also because I'm out of shape. But that's neither here nor there. All right. So uh, I want to read in First Peter to kind of set up the context of this series as well. And it says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. I think that a lot of people have a belief system of faith in God, but if somebody was to ask them about the reason of the hope that they have in them, they would not have a defense. They would not have any real answers for it. Why do you, why do you love Jesus? Because he's so good. Okay, that's an answer. All right, what else? Look at the bird. You know, it's just changed the subject because it's like, do you really believe in the Bible? Yes. Have you ever read it? Um, I've read some of it from time to time, right? Because this book right here, I brought one today, right? So we can look at an actual Bible. That's a huge book. Am I right? Like right now, Americans, whenever somebody sees somebody do this, we, we quiver inside because it's such a large book. What are we like? Footnotes? We like small bits of information and uh, because it's easy to know what somebody's talking about, but we never delve into it ourselves. We want like the McDonald's version of the Bible. And many of you, that's why you're here today. Give me something else that I can like take like a nugget, you know, not an eight piece, just a six piece though. <laughs> eight piece is too much. I won't be able to digest it well. It upsets my stomach. Um, I have no idea what that... <laughs> I'll take you on a journey in my mind. What it was is you eat too much and it hurts your stomach. So therefore some people don't like to eat too much in their mind because it would hurt their mind. Whenever the Bible says that we should grow, right? We should grow in our knowledge of God. Second Peter 1.5 says this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, which is moral excellence and, and virtue with knowledge. I believe that as believers, we shouldn't just uh, have a good concept in our mind of why we believe what we believe, but like we should actually have some knowledge to wrap around that, okay? Like our faith is not just experiential, something that you have to experience. It's also reasonable. It's something that we can talk about and talk through. Y'all believe that? Like there's actually supporting documents and things that we can sink our teeth into and, and, and reasons for why we believe what we believe. And so uh, today's, again, is the reliability of the Bible. And uh, our faith hinges on the Bible being accurate and reliable. 
everything that we do, the reason that we're here, it, it's so important that it's based upon the Bible, but also it's, it hinges upon the fact that the Bible is even legitimate in, it, in the first place. So the big problem with this though, is that Christians overall don't really understand it and don't really know about it. Uh, there was a, a report showed that, that those who self-identify as Christians rank only a little higher than atheists in biblical literacy. And actually, can I be honest? I think that some atheists actually know what they believe about the Bible better than a lot of Christians, okay? I know that because sometimes I get in conversations and I'll say something that's in the Bible and you ever get, there's either two responses, one or two responses. One is just the blank stare, which says, I don't wanna let you know that I have no idea what you're talking about, but I don't know what you're talking about right now. And the other is this, that's in the Bible. <laughs> yep, it's been there for a couple thousand years, man. It's been for a long time, actually. It's, you know, hundreds of years, we've it's been sitting there the whole time, but we don't know it. And so that whenever somebody brings up an argument, we don't have any defense. And what do we do? We crumble. Or we're afraid that we get in the, the conversation and we won't have something. So therefore we don't even engage. So a lot of people believe that we live in the age of information, like the information age, which is true. I'm not saying it's not true, but, but however, I think that it's not the age of information. I believe that a better way of putting it would be that we're in the age of contextualization. It's all about who's contextualizing information and whoever is putting it in a better story form that we can understand, we believe. That's why for young people, it's so important that you recognize that now because social media, Snapchat, okay? They are contextualizing stories and information for you in a wonderful way. It's packaged so clearly. You could just swipe, 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 and it just indoctrinates, indoctrinates, indoctrinates. Okay, and it, and it sounds so good. They're doing a great job of doing it, right? They're, they're indoctrinating you through that, through that medium. We don't even know it. We don't even realize it. We read what the word of God says and it seems foreign because what we've been intaking is from a completely different lens. So then it's hard to reconcile. And then you got some people that are trying to make the Bible fit culture, right? Like try to bend it and make it fit to where like everybody's good. Like, you know, like Jesus died for all. So therefore everybody's good whenever the Bible doesn't say that, but it sounds so good because in our day and age, it's all about making that work. But if we don't know what the Bible says, then we can't stand on, on our two feet. And I think it's really something that we have to be honest about. It's something that we have to engage with, knowing that we don't have all the answers, knowing that every question's not gonna have this one, two, three, and done, got the answer, I'm good, I can move on. Knowing that that's not gonna take place, but yet still engage in the conversation. So y'all with me on that? All right, don't fear, no fear, okay? No fear. In life, if we don't study about something, we don't know about it, correct? For instance, I don't know a lot about biochemistry. Matter of fact, I know nothing about biochemistry. Now I can go YouTube it and I can, I can have like this three minute version of biochemistry. And then if you ask me a question about it, I'll be like, oh yeah, the other day I was studying it. 
And uh, I read an article the other day, actually, that talked about that. Or you could tell me, hey, in five minutes, we're going to discuss this, this and, and let's talk about it. I could go online and I could get like this cursory view of it. But man, you're going to be able to shoot holes all through it, right? Because I don't really know what I'm talking about. Okay, <laughs> don't really know what I'm talking about. I experienced the effects of it, but I don't know why. And I believe this is how the Bible is. There's a lot of common statements about the Bible it's inaccurate, there's contradictions, right? There's, it, it, I love it when it, they say it contradicts itself or whenever it's, uh, it's fictional, it's actually not real. Like you can't actually prove that the things that happen in the Bible happen. We're gonna talk a little bit about that in a second. And many people believe that it's a man-made effort to control, manipulate, and give hope to the weak. You ever, you ever heard somebody say that? Oh, the Bible, that's just for weak people. Religion, uh, the Bible, yeah, it's just, man, they just manipulate people with it. And the, the sad part is, and we'll discover some of it today, that yeah, back in the day, actually, the Bible was used to manipulate. Some people today still take the awesome words of this book that really were written to produce and, and communicate hope and purpose, okay? And they take it and they use it as a hammer on people. That's not right. This message, yes, it's got some standards. and Yes, it's got some you know, some, some hard things, but it all produces hope and life and it's not to manipulate, but to set people free, okay? So with all of these statements and a lot of the things that people say about the Bible, uh, there's, that, there's like the simple answer and then there's the extended answer. And the simple answer when it comes to contradictions and all of these things is that it's simply not true, okay? There's logical explanations for, for, for I mean, all of these arguments it's supposed to be a conversation and people throw out these one-liners without the other logical explanation attached to it. And so I'm saying all this to say this, uh, don't fear conversations. Don't fear that they're gonna make a discovery and it's gonna undo everything that we believe in. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, there, there. don't fear. Let your faith be built on this book. Alexander Hamilton said this, I have carefully examined the evidences of the Christian religion and if I was sitting as a juror upon its authenticity, I would unhesitatingly give my verdict in its favor. I could prove its truth as clearly as any proposition ever submitted to the mind of man. To the mind of man. I wanna encourage you today not to park your mind at the door, but invite it in, all right? Let's have a conversation about the reliability of the word of God. The first question I wanna answer today is, doesn't history discredit the Bible? You might've heard that before. Well, history just discredits it. If you look back, you'll see. Well, I, I wanna let you know that history doesn't discredit the Bible. Rather, it actually supports it, okay? It actually supports the validity of the scripture. And uh, let's look at a couple of examples of how. Number one, the, the manuscripts that we have of the Bible, the evidence that's, that it supports the validity of these manuscripts, really not just the Bible, but all books of antiquity, it kind of looks like this. First off, you look at the number of copies of the original. Then you take those, the, the time gap between when the original was written and the manuscripts or the copies were written, the length of time there, and then also the degree of accuracy between those copies. This is something that, uh, that is done consistently with, with all, any book, not just the Bible. I think it's important that we realize that, okay? Uh, it's to, to validate and, and understand, are these books real? Because look, if the copies begin to offset one another and they don't all say the same thing, you can't trust what the copies say, correct? Right? What about the distance of time? Well, man, if something was written and then thousands of years later, 
all of a sudden we have this, you know, the earliest copy we have is thousands of years later. There's some questions about, man, was there informational breakdown? There's all of these questions that are valid questions that need to be answered. And by the way, uh, I wanna encourage you on April 24th, I believe it is the last Tuesday of this month at Cinemark in the Grand Theater in Diaberville, the, uh, there, there's actually gonna be a documentary that's coming out. And uh, I believe his name is, is Craig Evans, uh, but he is leading this, this documentary about uh, all the manuscripts that we have and really delving deep into where they come from. Um, I'm excited about it. I'm like, I'm gonna be nerding out that night. Like large popcorn, large cherry Coke cherry coke all right because that's what you do when you go to the movies and uh just ah. so uh, so look i would encourage you to go and see it you know uh i, th- I think it's so important that we we grow in our understanding of, of what's going on but anyway so you have these manuscripts so if you compare biblical manuscripts to other books uh how, how do how does the bible kind of play out okay well, first off, we have close to 25,000 manuscripts and, and copies and fragments of, uh, of the Bible, of the New Testament. And there, there are portions, and then there's whole manuscripts we have. In case you didn't know, they didn't write everything with pen and paper like we have, okay? They, they wrote on, wrote on a different material that would break down over time. That's why it was so important that there was copies made consistently and passed down and protected because it wasn't like us where we have PDFs, okay? But there's close to 25,000 uh, manuscripts and copies, and most are written within 225 years of the original, all right? And with that, we have 5,800 whole handwritten manuscripts and copies of New Testament books prior to the printing press. That's significant, okay? And you might not really understand why, but let's look at some of the other books that we just receive as truth, right? You ever think about that? We have all these contradictions or these thoughts about the Bible, but yet what's going on in our universities and in the way that we, we talk about people like Plato, right? Like, like, well, you know how Plato said. And some of these books that we quote from, we have like seven copies of. And the first, origi- the first copy that we have is 1300 years after the original was written, right? But it's true and we totally receive it and we teach it, and, right? We quote, we quote it. How about Julius Caesar? One of his books is, we have 10 copies of, and the the first one that we have after the original was written was a thousand years after. 225 years, 1300 years. You see just the block of time and then the amount of supporting manuscripts. Whenever you start putting the Bible up against all of these other books, you begin to actually put more trust and what you read in the Bible and say, actually, I kind of feel a little bit safer believing what the Bible says than these other books that it's just, we just believe. Why? Because our professor told us. Why? Because his professor told him. And because somebody at some point said, I, you know, I don't know, <laughs> right? See, as we start playing out these arguments and playing out these, these roles of thinking, we always end up at this kind of a dead end, kind of a dead end. I think it's so important for us to realize that as Christians and unbelievers and skeptics and all of that is that we're all actually on the same journey. What about archeological evidence? I love what Nelson Gluick said. He said, uh, it may be stated categorically that no archeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. 
You ever hear somebody say that? Like, well, as they discover more things and as they, as they dig up other things, like, yeah, they're finding all sorts of things that discredit what the Bible says. That's not true. It's not true. I love, the, I love they. You know what I'm talking about? What they're saying, well, I read what they said the other day, and who's they, and how are they so smart? <laughs> right? Like, it's amazing. It's actually not true. Archaeology actually supports that the Bible is talking about real time in a real place with real people. Actually, uh, scholars and archaeologists, they actually use biblical text to guide where they dig. It's really amazing. And uh, they can't find one archaeological discovery that has discredited the Bible. And there's a lot of different examples that you can go and research and look up and, and read about and a lot of big words that I can't even pronounce, right? Okay. But there's one that a lot of you know about and you've heard about, which is the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I wanna read a little bit about that because I believe it's a, it's a manuscript, but also um, evidence that supports in that vein, but also supports in the archeological vein. It says the Jewish people had scribes who were in charge of the manuscripts. They were so meticulous about doing it perfect that they counted all the paragraphs, words, and even letters. So they would know if they had copied correctly. They even knew the middle letter of each book so they could count back and see if they had missed anything. I love the detail. The oldest complete copy of a Hebrew Old Testament in museums today are dated about 1000 AD. Now that's a long time after the originals were written, which was around 1450 to 400 BC. So one could question if after many centuries of copying that we really have the original words. And that's a great argument. I mean, it's what we were talking about. That's where the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 is so helpful. These well-preserved texts, they date back to 100 BC. And amazingly, there is virtual agreement between the Dead Sea Scrolls and those dated 1100 years earlier or later. This proves that we can trust the Hebrew, Hebrew copies of the Old Testament that are existing today. You see, every bit of information that we begin to throw out is sort of like a puzzle piece. And you start formulating this case we do it, we talked about it a little bit last week when we talked about eyewitnesses and how detectives actually approach cases. And it's really not much different here. You begin to piece things together and you begin to uh, let the evidence actually dictate where your belief system heads, which is actually pretty amazing. If you, you, know, if you really research it and you begin to look, um, it's sort of like science, okay? A lot of people assume that science is always right. That's the first assumption. Like there's these guys and they have white jackets on and they have big brains and like they know a whole lot more than you do because they went to school for a long time. And then they do these studies and all of the studies are just supporting evolution and supporting, you know, like all these, these anti-biblical things. And it's just, it's all fact-based whenever really it's not, it's not like that. Most in the science community there's actually a, large, a larger portion who believe that there is some sort of intelligent designer. You're not gonna hear that nowadays, but it's true. Most scientists, astrophysicists, it's not even a question of whether there's an, uh, an intelligent designer. And if you've followed the science community, just saying that there's an intelligent designer is a big deal in the first place. People lose their jobs for it. They get excommunicated. A lot of it has to do with universities, but it's still the same thing. They get excommunicated because an intelligent designer, no way, you're ignorant. Well, the people that are really on the cutting edge are the ones that are saying, actually, this is impossible that this would just happen. 
the facts are actually beginning to speak for themselves. We can't even break down the single cell enough to figure out how things actually are, right? If we could just figure out the cell and like break it down, like we'll understand and they keep breaking it down further and further and further. And they're like, wow. It's the micro level. If you look at it on the macro level, it's the same thing. There's a creator, guys. There's a creator. Don't fear. Place your hope and your trust in Jesus. There's, uh, when you look at historical references as well, archaeological uh, manuscripts, but also historically speaking, a lot of people, again, might say that the book is fiction, the Bible is fiction, and, and all this. It's not referred to in any other historical documents. However, that's false as well. There's actually over 36,000 other references in non-biblical historical books uh, or sources to the events described in the Bible. So someone comes to you and says, well, yeah, it's just, it's it's an isolated book. It actually doesn't connect. It's not true. It is. It's historically accurate. The other question that some people have is where did the Bible come from? Okay, so I'm holding this book, but how did we actually get this Bible? over all the centuries and everything that took place, how do we actually have what we have today? And there's a lot of controversy around that. As with everything, come on, there's controversy about what kind of bread you eat. I mean, my goodness gracious, we can't do anything right. right? There's controversy around everything, but where did the Bible come from? Well, first off, it was written by men. God did not just like blow on dirt and then all of a sudden this book came out and now we have it. It was written by men. Men like Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke. And this is how he starts out the book of Luke. I think it's important for us to, to, to know this. He says, "'Inasmuch as many have undertaken "'to compile a narrative of the things "'that have been accomplished among us, "'just as those who from the beginning "'were eyewitnesses and ministers to the word, of the word "'have delivered them to us. "'It seemed good to me also, "'having followed all things closely "'for some time past,' to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. It's really not completely, uh, we're really not sure exactly who Theophilus is. It's believed that he might've been a uh, a high-ranking Roman official. But what it is, is you've got Luke, who's a very intelligent person, who's who's obviously having this conversation with Theophilus and says, hey man, listen, let me just write this out for you from my perspective, from the things that I've seen. Let me write this out so you can be certain of all the things that you're hearing about. Let me, basically, hey man, let me contextualize all this information, right? Let me, let me put this in a way that you might understand it better and have certainty and confidence in it. But these men that we believe, obviously the Bible says that, that every word was inspired by God. It was God breathed, but he spoke through men. God chooses to accomplish his will through men, Ask him whenever we meet him, why? <laughs> I don't know, right? Let's be honest, okay? Uh, but that's what he does. And he, he wrote the Bible with men. But how did we actually get the Bible that we have today? Well, it had to go through a process. It had to be canonized, which you can go and research the canonization of scripture. But it was basically approving of the authority of the, the authenticity of the books at that time that they had. And, um, and the books had to meet a lot of criteria. They would, they would have these councils where a lot of these scholars and, and theologians, or, they would all get together and they would discuss 
do the books that we have, are they authentic? Are they authoritative? Do, does the storylines match up? We talked about that with the, with the manuscripts. Do all the copies that we have, do they, do they all support the gospel that, that we believe in? Does it produce life change in the hearts of the believers? And is it accepted? They, just a list of criteria that they argued about and they, they wrestled over for years. And then in, um, in 397 AD at the Council of Carthage, that's where they, they you know, officially formalized the books that we have today. So these are the books. And, and again, there's some other books that a lot of people read and, and refer to. Um, and, and some of them are, are helpful, they're good. However, there are kind of some discrepancies and you read them and it's like, that's not really accurate based on the other four gospels or this or that. Well, that's why they, that's why they chose the 27 New Testament books that we have, right? There's actually reasons behind it. So, so how do we get the English translation of the Bible? Uh-oh, now our ears popped up, right? If you've been in church any amount of time, how do we get the translations? Now that's an argument right there. That's one I just can't. Well, how do we get it? First off, the Bible was not written in English back in the day, okay? It was, it was Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And uh, Latin replaced Greek in the first few centuries in the Roman Empire, so the Bible was translated into Latin in 405 AD and it was called the Latin Vulgate, all right? Well, in 1384, all right, 1384, 405, 1384 is when John Wycliffe translated the Bible from, from the Latin Vulgate, he translated it into English. That's a long time that a lot of people were being read the Bible in Latin and they had no idea what they were hearing. They couldn't read it for themselves. And that's what I say, there was actually this gap. It was almost like, control and power and it got very negative and, and it was kind of like you had the clergy and the laity and yet there was this gap and it had to do with the knowledge of what the word of God said. And so, uh, so that's why 150 years later after it was translated from the Latin Vulgate into English, whenever William Tyndale stepped in, he translated the Bible from the original Hebrew and Greek into English and he wanted to mass produce it. Now that was an issue and it was an issue that he ended up being executed for. He was executed for trying, for me to be able to hold this. He was executed just to be able to distribute this book. He was executed, he was labeled a heretic and uh, it was a very violent death. But this is what he said before he died. He said, I call God to record against the day we shall appear before our Lord Jesus that I never altered one syllable of God's word against my conscience, nor would do this day if all that is in earth, whether it be honor, pleasure, or riches might be given me. I love the resolve in what he said. Last week we said that nobody would give their life for a lie, right? I'm not gonna die for a lie. I don't think a man like this would die by converting or translating the Bible from one language to another and tweaking it and messing with it and doing something against his conscience, right? See what I'm saying? He translated the Bible for us to have it. I'm very grateful for that, very grateful. Three years later though, Miles Cloverdale was one of the colleagues with uh, Tyndale. He actually continued the cause. And three years later, which is kind of disheartening, <laughs> three years later, they were able to uh, mass produce it. King Henry backed it and they were able to mass produce it, which is again, man, three years. It's like, oh, just move the three years back. Come on, God, why not, right? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks here. <laughs> why God? 
And then we move forward to 1611, obviously is whenever the King James Version was, was translated. And, um, and since that time, we have a lot of questions about translations and, and which one's right or wrong. A lot of people don't understand. They say, well, why don't you just go back to the original language and go word for word? I mean, why not? Well, go study Hebrew and you'll understand why. <laughs> it's not how the languages operate. And uh, I mean, we have one word for love. Like just take that in, for instance, and yet the other languages, they'll have multiple words that depict it in different ways. And we're just like, I love iPad and I also love hamburgers, you know, and, and I also love my wife. It's all in the same for us, at least in the way that we, we say it. It's a lot more complicated than that. There's actually still, act, the Bible is still actively being translated into other languages. Wycliffe.org says there's still 1,800 languages that, that don't have the Bible. Today, now, like right now, I can go right now and, and look at all different translations and also hit a couple of buttons and I'm reading all these different languages. But there's other people right now, 1,800 different languages that don't have the Bible and they're still translating it. And we also have modernized translations that are being produced uh, in their wording. It's, it's, it's modern, like this is an NLT, New Living Translations. There's, there's ESV, which ESV is very, very, a great translation to read or a version to read. And uh, because what they did is they went back to the original and they began to kind of rework uh, the, the translation altogether. But there's all these different translations and that's where a lot of people start arguments. They start talking, they say, well, that one, they actually left verses out of, of this one and this and that. And, and if you go and you research the why behind that, instead of just ingesting information from people all the time, and maybe do a little bit of research, you'll, you'll figure out why. It's actually pretty complicated, but there was some manuscripts had some verses and some manuscripts didn't. And so some people added those verses in and some people didn't. And that, that, don't let that shake your faith because that's actually normal. That happens in other books. That happens, <laughs> see, in the church, oh, well, that's something I've never heard before. It, like, don't fear, it's okay. We read books all the time that have the same exact thing that happened. We just don't, we just don't argue about it. You know what I'm saying? Church people, listen, don't get wrapped up in arguments that have no end to them. The Bible talks about it like irreverent babbling. Okay, well, you read this type of Bible, I read this one. Let me tell you something. All of them contain the gospel message of Jesus Christ. All of them. By the way, some people have never held a Bible in their hand and they're believers in Jesus. You know why? God visits them in dreams. Come on, there's there's stories of places in the world where they have one page of the Bible. That's it. And they hold onto that one page and guess what? They know Jesus. God is bigger than our intellect and he's bigger than our procedures and how we compute and, and, and do all this stuff. He's bigger than it. There's some faith in, the, in that, right? But I believe it. Why? Because there's stories of it where missionaries have shown up in places that no other person outside from the outside world has, has visited and they walk up and they're like, yeah, we know who you're talking about. So-and-so, the old guy over there had a dream 50 years ago about this man that's exactly who you're talking about, mind blown. Why? Because God's bigger than we are, y'all. <laughs> the third question I'd like to answer today or at least provide some clarity around is what's the point of the Bible? Some people have that thought, like what's the point of it? Like, why should I read it? Why should I look at it as a, okay, it's, you brought up some good points today, Jordan, and that's cool, but, but still what's the point? What does it produce 
The number one thing that the Bible does is the Bible reveals Jesus. If you had to ask me, what's the point of the Bible, the overall thing, it's not to prove some historical thing, all right? It's not some scientific book. It's to show who Jesus is and what he accomplished, the redemption of mankind, okay? That's where you have to start. That's, where Je- that's what Jesus actually said whenever he was here on earth. And he, and he said this to some of the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, exclamation point, me, like you're missing it. Don't approach the Bible just from this scientific, you know, angle, this historical angle, approach it from a place of humility and openness because not everybody did that even when Jesus was standing right in front of them and they missed it. The Bible reveals Jesus. The next thing the Bible does, it builds character. John 15, one through four says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. This is Jesus talking. He said, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that I will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I wanna encourage you to continue to remain in God's word and also remain in Jesus. Some of you are like, I want my character to grow. I want my, you know, my understanding of God to grow. Remain in the word. Ground your belief system in the word of God. The other thing it does is it brings spiritual maturity. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture is God breathed, is God breathed, is inspired by the spirit of God rests upon the words that we read in the Bible. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. I like that word training in righteousness. We are clothed in righteousness, but we are clothed and empowered to also operate in righteousness, training in righteousness. It says, 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants you not only to believe, but also to be activated in your walk, in your Christianity. Some people say they they try to do a lot of good works in order to attain righteousness. You know what I'm talking about? Like do a lot of good things and then I'll be righteous. Um, But it's actually the opposite. It's, it's, It's bow your heart before God. You're righteous because of what he has done. And then because of that, you're changed into a person that desires to do good works. Make sense? You don't do good works to attain some level. We've all fallen short of that a long time ago. But yet whenever we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we accept him in our life, something happens on the inside of us and we're changed for a purpose. The next thing it does is it it imparts faith. This whole series is really built a lot around faith and where we put our faith. But, But the Bible, as you read it, it imparts faith into your heart and allows you the, uh, gives you the strength to put your faith in God. Romans 10, 17, consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is, is heard through the word of Christ. If you want your faith to be strengthened, I'd encourage you to read the word of God. The last thing is that the Bible 
and the words that it contains and the spirit that it contains, it transforms lives. It transforms lives. The Bible has transformed societies. If you take pagan culture versus Christian culture, the, it, this, the contrast is huge. If we go back in the day, we, we've read stories and we know, you know, when it comes to the value of human life even, pagan cultures didn't have any value. If a, if a baby had a defect, it was go leave it on a wall, let it die. If it was, oh, you've got too many girls and not enough boys in your family, we'll leave the girls on the wall or just dispose of them. That was like the, the approach, just one of the aspects, okay? And the Bible brings something completely different. God renovated all of that type of thinking. Christian cultures have been affected. The thing that I see though is I see us actually returning back to that in a lot of different ways where life doesn't matter as much. And for me, it's a big check because I never want my life to be more influenced by the culture of this world than by the culture that Jesus brings and brought, right? So it's so important as we approach these questions that we approach them from a place of, again, not parking our brain at the door, looking at the evidence and letting the evidence lead us but many of you are in a place today, I believe, where your, your faith is weak. You're not really sure whether you believe in this Jesus and you believe in the Bible. And I wanna pray for you. I'm not gonna stand here and say that today is the day that you better, you better, because you never know if you get in a car wreck and hell is on your front door, right? There's a lot of people, they, they use that tactic. And uh, the thing is, I believe that most people have already heard that and they know that. And it doesn't help just to hammer that into your head, right? Ugh because I believe that the kindness of the Lord is what leads you to repentance. And I believe that his spirit has been drawing you. I believe that some of you today is the day that you need to choose to follow Jesus. You need to say yes to him. It's actually very simple. Jesus did all the work. God provided the way. And now we sit here today with a decision to make. And so today I wanna give you the opportunity for that. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're in this place and, and you know that you're far from God, you know that you don't have a relationship with Him, but today you wanna place your hope and your trust in Him. It's very simple, I'm not gonna embarrass you or do anything strange. We're just gonna say a prayer. And I wanna encourage you to speak this prayer. You don't have to repeat it after me, but I, I wanna encourage you. The Bible says to, to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and to confess with your mouth that He is Lord. And so in this place right now, if that's you and, and, and you wanna make a decision to follow Jesus, God's been dealing with you, convicting you. If you're watching online right now, come on, in your car, in your living room. But God has been drawing you and today you're like, I'm saying yes. Let's pray together. And God's gonna do something in your heart that only he can do. Say, God, I just surrender my heart to you right now. I give you everything that I have, everything that I am. God, all the, all the areas that I've failed in, all the, even all the things that I've been really good at and succeeded in, God, I take all of those things and I place them at your feet and I ask for you to forgive me of my sin. I accept Jesus into my life. I accept and I believe in the message of the cross that you died for my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, come on. Can we give it up for those who gave their hearts to God today? Thanks so much for watching Northwood Church. Wherever you're watching from, we want you to know that we consider you family. We as a church wanna help people know God, and our hope is that today you are encouraged and closer to God through this program. 
If you just prayed that prayer, first let me say congratulations. Starting your relationship with God is the best decision you can make, but it's also just a start, and we want to help you on your journey of faith. If you're watching and you want to become a partner in what God is doing in South Mississippi through Northwood Church, you can give simply by texting the amount you want to give to the number 228-215-3421. Again, that number is 228-215-3421. By giving, you're helping local food pantries, women's resource centers, missions, outreaches, and so much more. Even just $5 can go a long way. Again, text the amount to 228-215-3421. Northwood is one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, Mississippi, and we'd love to see you there. You can check out our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Be sure to connect with us at northwood.tv or on social media to stay up to date with all the exciting things happening around Northwood Church. Thank you for watching, and we hope to see you soon.